0: How many knows that we're in a spiritual battle? I'm going to deal a little bit with spiritual warfare tonight. That's what I'm going to preach on, okay? But the spiritual battle is extremely real and extremely serious. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are totally oblivious to the spiritual battle that's going on. They have no idea. And because of that, there's no active stance. You know, a lot of times people live in a posture of defense all the time as the enemy's just attacking them, and they're just defending themselves. But the Lord wants us to begin to be on the offense. Okay. And the second thing I want to say up front, because a lot of people may not know this, there was a, an evil king by the name of Ahab that lived back in the Bible times, and his wife Jezebel. That's basically where I'm coming from is this attack with a Jezebel and Ahab spirit. And Jezebel operates through manipulation, intimidation, and control. And an Ahab spirit is passive. And so I want you to understand we're talking about King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and the spirits that used them back then and that are still at work today. If you read Revelation 2.20, the Jezebel spirit still at work today. Okay. Now, how knows that I'm going to preach it like it is, so I want everybody to say this out loud. I will not, I will not get, mad get mad at Pastor Scott because he's going to step on toes. All right, because I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm just telling you now. And we need, to, we need to grow up spiritually, amen? All right, so y'all lock in and listen to this. Okay, 1 Kings 16.29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel. Ethbal. Ethbal, Ethbal, however you say it king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal, and he built that temple in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. It did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of the firstborn, Abiram, and set up his gates at the cost of the youngest, Segub. In accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So the three main sins of Ahab are listed there. And let me read a little bit more. And I'm just going to get into this. 1 Kings 21, 17. So Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any other king before him. He aroused the anger of the Lord more than anybody else. So I want you to understand we're dealing with something that is extremely serious. And I think you're going to see this as we go. And there's people within the sound of my voice that I know deal with this. And so this is hopefully going to help you. 1 Kings 21, starting with verse 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him this, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In this place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick your blood, yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. Now you should stop right there and just think, Ahab knew that Elijah, the man of God, was his enemy. That should be a red flag. Amen? And Elijah said, I have found you, he answered, because you've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then he went on to prophesy. The Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on you, I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. And I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and birds will feed on those that die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. Now remember that, because I'm going to be speaking about that as we go. He sold himself to do evil, but he was urged on by his Jezebel wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols, like the Amorites the Lord drove out from Israel. Now when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put put on sackcloth, And he fasted. He laid in sackcloth. He humbled himself. Okay. He went around meekly. And the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. And he said to Elijah, have you noticed that Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his day. But I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Now what I want you to notice about Ahab is this. Ahab was the most wicked king that there ever was in Israel. He completely sold himself to do evil. And even though he prayed and fasted, he prayed and fasted because he didn't want the judgment to come on him. But he didn't change. That is Ahab. He doesn't want the consequences, but he's not going to change. Did everybody see that? Ahab never changed. Even after he prayed and fasted and Elijah came to him and said, whatever, you know, you're not going to have this in your time, but it'll happen to your sons. He still never changed. He still kept worshiping idols and doing everything he did before. God wants us to repent and change. Amen. All right, so I'm going to deal with some things that I believe are going to hit home. But let me give you eight different Ahabs in the Bible. Now, understand when I describe this, some of you have never heard a sermon on this. This is very new to you. But I'm hoping that as I go, it'll make a lot of sense to you. But let me give you eight people that fell under the category of being like an Ahab in the Bible based on what the description of an Ahab is. I'm not just talking about an evil king that worshiped Baal. There's much more to this. The passivity. So let me give it to you. Number one, the first one that played the Ahab is Adam. He listened to his wife over God. Did everybody get that? Adam should have told Eve, regardless of what you do, I'm not going to eat the fruit. God told me not to. But he listened to his wife over God. He was passive when he should have been aggressive. He should have went after that snake. Just to be honest with you. He should have crushed its head and sent it running off. He should have went after that snake. But instead he sat back there passively and didn't use his authority. He was basically the king of of Eden and the earth as we know it. He was a ruler and he sat back passively and let his wife eat that fruit and then he joined her. That's typical of an Ahab that they would fall along with things instead of aggressively taking a stand against it. And Eve, in this situation, is a picture and type of a Jezebel that kind of seduced her husband into doing something God said not to do alright the second person to play the Ahab was Esau Now I'm gonna explain all this as we go this is new to people I know Esau he despised his birthright don't you think about he was promised through that culture that because he was the firstborn he was gonna get his father's wealth and that would not only bless him but all of his family he had this huge massive inheritance his father Isaac was very wealthy this was a major deal okay And think about how foolish this is. He went out hunting and he was hungry. And his brother was making a bowl of soup. And he was willing to give up all of that birthright, all of his inheritance for a bowl of soup. Have you really thought about for a little bit how stupid that really is? Did you know the Bible says in the Old and the New Testament God hated Esau? Because Esau despised his birthright. And how many people have been willing They have a great inheritance in God? but they've been willing to do something to suit themselves for that moment that not only sold themselves out but it sold out their family the person that for sexual gratification knew that if they had this adulterous affair it would probably if it ever came out cost them their family cost them their kids maybe cost them their job their reputation destroy their family but because they wanted that sexual gratification they still did it anyway it was selfish didn't care about anybody else, just like Esau, I'm hungry right now, and so I want the bowl of soup now, and I'm willing to sacrifice this huge inheritance over something so silly. Oh, you see what I'm saying? That's the picture and type of Ahab, and because of that, we see that he ended up losing his firstborn blessing as well, which ultimately was a God thing. God did not want that on Esau, I'm just telling you. The next person that played the Ahab was Lot. The Bible said that Lot sat at the temple gate. In those days, the people that sat at the temple gate, like in Sodom where he lived, were those that were elders and leaders, people of influence. How is it that Lot lived in that city? Was probably a wealthy man because of everything he got when he was with Abraham. He was a man of influence. But even though he was a man of influence and it grieved his soul what was going on around him Peter talked about that every day Lot was grieved he was vexed in his soul by what he saw around him but he didn't do anything about it you don't read about him doing anything about it and because he was passive and he didn't really deal with it in his family he lost everything he lost his family his wife became a pillar of salt his daughters became sexually perverted. Their husbands died in Sodom. But they became so sexually perverted. They got their father drunk. To have sex with him. Which produced Moab and Ammon. But they he lost his whole family over it. Are oh, you seeing what I'm saying? He was passive. The next person that played the Ahab. Was Samson. Samson had a great anointing on his life. A great destiny in God. Probably it's debatable, probably the most powerful judge of Israel. He had a Nazarite vow from birth. Not a lot of people can say that, but he had a Nazarite vow. I don't have time to explain that, but it's a vow of being consecrated unto God where they would grow their hair out, they couldn't drink wine, and they couldn't touch dead bodies. But Samson, in in that Nazarite vow, was, was in his hair. It was the seven locks of hair that he had. And he didn't care about that vow. That's why it was a problem that he went and killed that lion and came back and took honey out of it and he touched a dead body. He knew better. You understand what I'm saying? You may not know a lot about a Nazarite vow, but this man did, and he knew he was not supposed to touch that dead body. But he didn't care about his Nazarite vow. He cared about it. He was hungry and wanted honey right now. Secondly, he drank wine, but not only that, later on, he um, went and, because of lust, He went after what the Bible says, strange flesh. He wasn't content with having a wife in Israel like he's supposed to. And lust overtook him. So Samson didn't really care about his Nazarite vow. He cared about his own desires for that moment. And he was willing to sell out his Nazarite vow and sell out his destiny with God. And let me tell you something, he lost everything. And you know what? Whenever somebody plays the Ahab, it doesn't just affect them, it affects everybody. When Samson was taken down, it affected the whole nation of Israel. He was supposed to be a judge over them. He was supposed to be a Nazarite. He was supposed to be slaughtering Philistines. That was his destiny, okay? He was a Philistine killing machine, okay? That was his destiny. But he was willing to sell it out and let the whole nation come under bondage and influence of the Philistines because he wanted to have sex with a prostitute. That's what he wanted. Eli was the next one to play the Ahab. Eli's sons were so wicked that his sons were actually sleeping with prostitutes in the temple. Remember? The tabernacle area. And Eli knew this was an abomination to God. This is not somebody that was ignorant. This was somebody that was a judge. He was a Levite. He was a priest. He knew. But he never really dealt with it. And the Bible says that Eli, God became so angry with Eli that God raised up little Samuel who was a child and spoke to him. And little Samuel gave his very first prophecy to Eli that God was going to destroy Eli and his family because he would not deal with his sons. I just read to you about King Ahab. King Ahab was the next one that falls under this category, obviously. He passively abdicated his throne to Jezebel. He was the king of Israel, but basically his wife ran the show through him. She was really the king of Israel, so to speak. He was just her puppets. And King Ahab rebuilt Jericho, continued in the sins of Jeroboam, and married Jezebel. And it was an abomination to God. But he didn't care about the nation of Israel. He didn't care about God. He just cared about what he wanted. And finally, the one I'm going to point out is King Herod Antipas who imprisoned John the Baptist because John the Baptist was speaking out that his adulterous relationship with Herodias was sin. And Herodias had a major Jezebel spirit. If you read the story, you'll see it. And she hated John the Baptist. She hated him for speaking out like that publicly because John the Baptist didn't care. He was a true prophet so it wasn't like he went to him in private I mean he was out, everybody was there okay, and he would yell out at the top of his lungs so she despised this man and so she manipulated her husband who brought him into prison but really King Herod Antipas he, he didn't really want to kill John so Herodias decided I'm going to manipulate this man and she knew he was a man of lust so she got her daughter to go in there and dance seductively and then he made a promise I'll do whatever you ask and she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. And he sit in front of everybody, so he had to do it. But you're dealing with a typical Jezebel and Ahab situation there. He was going along with what his wife wanted, even though he knew it was the wrong thing to do. So what about an Ahab? Let me, let me, let me say it this way. Ahab, if you look at all of these stories, every single one of them, they lost everything. Adam lost everything that was important to him and everything that God had given him. Even his firstborn son became a murderer. Esau lost everything. He didn't just lose everything for himself, he cut himself off from the blessing of Israel and his his descendants became the Edomites, you know, and and they had no covenant with Israel. I mean, they were they were totally cut off from everything that could have been his inheritance. Lot lost everything. Samson lost everything. Eli lost everything. He lost his priesthood. He lost his life. He lost his family. He lost his sons. King Saul was another person that played the Ahab. Whenever King Saul went to kill the Amalekites, and he, remember whenever he made the sacrifice and Samuel was angry with him, what are you doing? Why are you making the sacrifice? He didn't ever say, I sinned, I shouldn't have done this. King Saul was always blaming everybody else. It was because of the people. It was because the enemy was coming. It was everybody else's fault but mine. He would not take responsibility for himself. But King Saul lost everything. King Ahab lost everything. All of his sons, all of his descendants... His, his wife, Jezebel, all of them died under the judgment of God. He lost everything. And King Herod, if you read the story, he lost everything. He ended up in exile with his wife in prison. That's where he died. So all of these people that played the Ahab lost everything. How does Ahab get in somebody's life? Let me read you a story, and then I'm going to start talking about different descriptions of an Ahab tears streamed down Eric's cheeks as once again he heard his father's crushing words of disapproval he was so proud of painting the fence he did not clean the brushes properly and his dad's rebuke pierced his heart Eric grew up in a home where his father was a perfectionist and a workaholic never once did he hear his father say you did a good job and I'm proud of you or let's do something together from as far back as he could remember Eric's perception of was that his father measured him based on the amount of work that he accomplished instead of hearing the statements of approval he craved. Eric only heard his dad say, you forgot to do this, now I've got another job for you. And it seemed impossible for Eric to please his father. By the way, the names and personal stories, uh, I'm sorry, the names using this story are different, okay, to protect the person. Eric grieved over this and began blaming himself while he was growing up, like it was his fault. Feeling that he was a failure, a loser, never able to do anything right. Sometimes he would stand in front of the mirror and feel just self-loathing that he would call himself hateful names. As a teenager, Eric struggled with feelings of isolation. Never feeling as though he was a part of any group. Instead, trying out for athletic teams, he would convince himself that he wasn't good enough. He feared rejection. I want you to remember that fear of rejection. That's a big thing I'm going to talk about. He feared rejection so much, he rarely socialized with others or asked from his father's spiritually, emotionally, and mentally issues. I'm sorry. He would not ask girls out on dates. Sorry, I read that wrong. Eric was too young to recognize that these patterns were not only entirely his problem, but it stemmed from his father's spiritual, emotional, and mental issues. His father was of the opinion that a person's worth is totally based on his or her performance only. If you're not producing, you're worthless. That's the way his father felt. So Eric grew up, as he grew older, he lived in a prison of trying to perform for and please his dad, looking for acceptance anywhere he could. This neediness would overwhelm him as he continued to seek approval, attention, and validation he still desperately desired from his father. This caused so much turmoil within him That it brought about depression, resentment, feelings of worthlessness, self-hatred, withdrawal, and any ability to control his behavior. Out of all of this, Eric became very passive, unable to feel good enough about himself to take any initiative in setting any goals, making any healthy decisions, and living a fulfilled life. So how does Ahab take up a, a root in somebody's life? Number one, is probably the wounds that have happened in life. People's gone through pain with their family, with their parents, um, maybe a painful divorce, things that have happened in their life that crippled them emotionally, and they didn't get growing up what they needed. And because they've been wounded in life, now they find themselves struggling to be able to become what they need to be. Because they've been hurt. So let me tell you about Satan. Satan seeks to tear down. The psychological makeup of a man. To beat him down into insecurity. And inferiority. So that Ahab can take a root in his life. And then he'll never really feel like he could ever rise up and be the leader. That he's supposed to be. So number one. The woundings in life. Number two. Ahab can get a root in people by being raised around a Jezebel Ahab situation. All they've ever known their whole life is a real controlling mother or grandmother and a real passive father figure that just sat around watching TV. It would never rise up and lead his family. And they never saw a godly example. They never were able to look at their dad and say, hey, that's what you know a dad's supposed to be they didn't look at their mother and say that's what a mother's supposed to be they got saved and realized they've grown up in the Jezebel Ahab scenario and psychologically that programmed them to be like that because that's what they grew up around that's what they're used to another way that Ahab can get a root in somebody is through generational curses and don't take this lightly Jezebel and Ahab are fiercely generational it produces a powerful generational curse and it's very serious very serious. That generational curse can come from things like the Catholic Church, which is extremely Jezebel and Ahab influenced, Freemasonry, or occult involvement in your family, if your family was involved in the occult. Also, another way Ahab gets a root in people is through their personal occult involvement or sexual perversions. This Ahab spirit is serious. It can target, I've seen Jezebel Ahab situations where the man, the husband was a Jezebel control freak and the wife was ahab I've seen that. But usually, it's the other way around. Ahab tries to target men to cripple them so that they cannot be the leaders they're supposed to be. So let me give you some descriptions of an Ahab spirit. Very few people are going to deal with all of these. But you may deal with one or two, but I encourage you to pray about this. Listen, you guys know me, but I'm telling you, I know that some people deal with this. And I encourage you to listen to this sermon more than once if you can, because you'll get things out of it the second time that you did in the first. Secondly, I encourage you to take these notes home and to really pray over this, to study out the scriptures, study out the lives of those eight men I just talked about. And study these things out and pray about it. And commit it to prayer and fasting to break this thing. Okay? This is serious. Remember that people that play the Ahab in life usually lose everything. They lose everything. They lose their family. They lose their respect. They lose their ministry. They lose everything. It's serious. It's very destructive. So let me go through some, some descriptive phrases I want to give you just kind of describing an Ahab. I'm going to move through this pretty quickly. The first thing is an Ahab's spirit its goal is weakness. I want you to remember that. Its goal is weakness. It wants to cripple people down. So number one, it will attack people physically with infirmity to break them down physically to be weak. It attacks them psychologically to be weak in the soul area where they're no longer able to be strong authoritative bold decisive but they feel weak and passive it attacks them spiritually where they cannot pray it attacks their prayer life viciously so that it can beat them down to where they're spiritually weak its goal is weakness it wants people weak physically mentally emotionally and spiritually because when you're in that place of weakness, you're vulnerable. And you're certainly not able to rise up and be the leader God's called you to be. The goal of an Ahab spirit is to, cons- to secure control over like a pastor of a church and to begin to steer that church down a different direction than what God is leading. See, when Satan brings an Ahab spirit into somebody's life, Somebody that's an Ahab is too insecure to be assertive and decisive. An Ahab is too insecure to be a strong leader and have to make tough decisions. How many knows when you're a leader you have to make tough decisions sometimes? Decisions that don't make you popular. Decisions, honestly, that sometimes your wife will be mad at you. Decisions sometimes that your kids will be very mad at you and even tell you they hate you. But you still made the right decision. See, the responsibility of a leader is to do what you're supposed to do even if people around you get mad at you. There's hell to pay if you if you confront a jesma. I'm just telling you. They they will go down fighting and they're mean. They're as mean as a snake. Somebody man a jesma, I'm just telling you, they're mean. There's there's no normal um, love and compassion. They're mean. And they, they will go down fighting. But an Ahab has to rise up and deal with that anyway. It'll cost you some things, but you still have to deal with it. It'll cost you a lot more to not deal with it. An Ahab is too insecure to discipline and correct people. In Ahab, somebody that's got an Ahab spirit, they actually feel confused when they're trying to make decisions. And they'll second guess themselves constantly. They feel, whenever they go to make decisions, they feel confused and they're second guessing themselves. I'm not sure this is right, I don't know what to do, um, and then they defer the decision onto somebody else. Because they feel confused and they're second guessing themselves to be able to make the right decision. A person that struggles with an Ahab spirit wants to be liked and accepted way too much. How many knows not everybody's going to like you, and that and even if you're a good person, there's people that will hate you just for no reason. You know, there's an old saying that you can please everybody every once in a while or whatever, but you cannot please all the people all the time. You're not going to make everybody happy. You can please some of the people some of the time, but you cannot please everybody all the time. There's going to be people that don't like you. Somebody that struggles with an Ahab spirit will want to be liked and accepted way too much, and they avoid confrontation and struggles with others intimidating them. They avoid confrontation. If they have to be in a situation where they're going to have to confront somebody and have it out with somebody, they'll walk away. And to be honest with you, they have a tendency to just say, even though they were right and the other person's wrong, they'll just say, you know, I was wrong, I'm sorry, and they'll walk away from it just to get along. Even though they're not wrong. But they don't want to confront it. And then Ahab struggles with other people intimidating them. And Ahab will have a what's called a passive aggressive nature many times. Now listen to some of these descriptions about Ahab. This is important. Somebody that struggles with an Ahab spirit, I want you all to really hear me on this, They, they struggle with being immature, irresponsible, manipulating, selfish, and they shirk responsibility. I remember seeing, for example, even whenever a teacher or somebody is trying to give announcements, though some people sit around, they joke all the time, they talk, they're distracting, and you still see it as an adult. You see what I'm saying? Even as an adult. They cut up, they joke around, they won't listen, there's, there's something going on, the, the, the preacher's talking or the teacher in college is talking, and they're distracting. You know what it is? They're immature like a little child. But they're like a 30-year-old little kid. They're immature. They cut up, they're distracting, they distract church services, they distract meetings. They always want to be the class clown. And while other people are trying to listen and get something out of it, they're, they're distracting other people because they're like a little immature child. Somebody that's an Ahab is immature and childish. They're irresponsible. They do not want to take responsibility for their actions. It's like Adam. When God said, Adam, what happened? He said, well, it was the wife. You know what he said? He didn't just say it was her fault. He said, it's the wife you gave me. So in other words, he's saying it's her fault and it's your fault. It's her fault because she gave me the fruit, but it's your fault because you gave me her. But he never said it was my fault. If I remember the story right, Eve didn't like hold him into some submission hold and pry his mouth open and shove the fruit in. If I remember the story right, Adam willingly ate, right? But you know what you find about Ahab? They're a little baby, and they don't want to accept responsibility for their actions. It's everybody else's fault. It was my dad's fault. It's society's. Society has done me wrong, sir. It's society. It's the president's fault. No, it's the government's fault. It's welfare's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's the teacher that hit me with that ruler. It was her fault. But the last person's fault, it is my fault. Let me tell you something, friend. It's your fault. The prison system, we just went to do this training and that guy was talking about everybody in the prison system has an attitude like it's everybody else's fault that they did all this activity. You're never, ever going to get anywhere with God until you humble yourself and quit blaming everybody else for your sin. And Ahab does not repent of their sin. They blame everybody else for their sin, but it's their sin. And Ahab is a manipulator. They're always wanting to use other people to their advantage. It's, it's the this, this son that's grown up, but he still wants to live at home and not get a job and not do anything with his life. He wants to mooch off his parents. It's the person that goes from person to person trying to mooch, mooch and use people, but doesn't want to be responsible. You see what I'm saying? A manipulator... That can give you the greatest sob story. Can make you feel so, just so sorry for them. And they're good. They're good actors. You can turn off that actually, please. But they're good actors. I mean, they can put on a Hollywood level performance. Are you hearing me? They can put on a Hollywood level performance full of tears, the quivering lip, and they'll give you the biggest sob story you've ever seen to get you to feel sorry for them. And the whole time, they're lying. There's not even a truth to it. They're playing you. They're trying to use you. They want money out of you. They want time out of you. But they're just using you. It's a manipulator. A true Ahab is selfish. They don't care about other people. They don't care about their wife and their kids that much. They just care about themselves. I want what I want. And I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of if it costs everybody else so much and they shirk responsibility there's always an excuse why they cannot keep a job I mean, how many an Ahab can't really hold down a job too good a lot of times and Ahab's always running from stuff every time times get tough they tuck tail and run all of a sudden it's difficult at the workplace so instead of Just toughing it out. Now they want to quit their job and leave. And they're unemployed. So now they're going to mooch off everybody else. But it got tough at work. So they just quit. Well, how about staying with it for a little bit? you know, And being somebody that's going to get some backbone and deal with the issues in the workplace. And just tough it out. And I remember growing up, I remember my dad, we moved um, an hour away from where he worked. And for five years or something like that, I don't remember, it was a long time. He had to drive. Now, to be a mailman, you got to get there early, friend. Okay, And uh, he had to get up and drive something like 5 in the morning, I think. He had to get up and drive an hour one way, an hour one way to go to work. He eventually, like five years later, got transferred closer to the post office, closer to home. But you know what? If he was a selfish little Ahab person, he would have quit that job because it was hard. But he kept that job for five years and toughed it out where our family we had we could you know, he could pay the house payment, we could have food, and the family could be taken care of. Amen? But see and Ahab would only think about themselves, well it's tough, I don't want to do it, I'm just gonna quit. And my mother was the same way, stayed teaching school, and you know as well as I do, teaching school is not an easy job. You can't do it but you want to slap a kid. Amen. And she, she worked in there for I don't know how many years, stayed with it, 20-something years, just recently retired, felt a major just deliverance come off her shoulders when she retired. And Ahab is immature, like a child, irresponsible, manipulating, wants to use people, selfish, and shirk's responsibility. An Ahab-type person will allow others to control them. Now, this is where it's important that you discern this. An Ahab person has a tendency to let other people control them. Now, let me tell you, it's just like I was talking about earlier. This Ahab can give you the biggest sob story. You know, they can cry and they can just act so good. I mean, they could, they could be in Hollywood on a movie. They're that good and they're lying through their teeth. They're the biggest liar, manipulator you could ever imagine. They'll leech onto people and if you let them control you, they'll suck you dry They'll suck every penny they can out of you. They'll suck every bit of time out of you they can get out of you. You know, they they attach and they try to drain out of you all your energy and resources. And you've got to discern that, especially when you're a pastor. I used to think, when I very first got into the ministry, I'd I'd get these people calling the church. You know, they just go through the yellow pages, these people. And you'll see what I'm talking about here in a moment. And just start calling churches. And they give you the same sob story. But pretty soon, pastors throughout the city, they all know who this person is. It's the local pothead. And they just want another high. And you get the phone call, and you've never talked to them before. And so they're giving you their sob story, how they desperately need money to pay their bills and all this stuff. And then you go talk to the pastors, and all the pastors in the whole city are going, don't give them a dime. Do not give them a dime. They will drain your church and they'll blow every penny on alcohol and every penny on weed. But I remember telling that lady one time I was talking to her, this was I was young in this. I was like 19, 20 years old. And this lady's giving me the sob story and I asked the pastor I was working for her, He's don't give her a dime. The whole town knows about this lady. She's living in motel whatever six and she's wanting all this stuff. He said, Do not give her a dime. And so I told her, I'm sorry, I can't do this. She went from the nicest little manipulator you could ever imagine. To If she could have, she would have come through the phone and murdered me. I mean, she hated me after that. I was like, okay, lady, I'm, i am i got to go. Click. She just wanted to use the church. But see, and Ahab doesn't care about the fact that they're stealing from God doing that. They're stealing from God. And one day they're going to have to stand before him and give an account of how they manipulated all these churches and stole from these churches and ripped them off so they could buy drugs. So understand, don't let people use you. You've got to cut some people off. You've got to draw a line in the sand that I'm not going to be manipulated. I'm not going to be controlled by people. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be people that don't like you because of that. Because they know that they can't use you. They can't get away with it. When you're not an Ahab, you're somebody that can go right up to somebody and say to them in love, you're not going to control me. Boy, they don't like that. But when you're not in Ahab, you can do that. You don't intimidate me. You're not going to keep doing this. And I'm not putting up with it. You know what? And to be a pastor, especially in these last days, we've got to deal with that. You've got to let the Holy Ghost give you some inner strength. Because there's some Jezebels out there that want to use you and manipulate and control. Amen. And Ahab has a hard time saying no. this is good they have a hard time saying no I'm not going to do this for you anymore I'm not giving you this anymore somebody that struggles with an Ahab spirit they will present you as being unloving and uncaring if you don't go along with their ways but if you're not careful you'll be an enabler you guys know what an enabler is That's somebody that is still giving, 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 and enabling the person to continue to be this Ahab. Eventually, you've got to administer some tough love and say, look, I love you, but I'm cutting you off, and it's time for you to just grow up. Now, they probably won't talk to you for about five years, but at the end of that five years, they'll come back and say, you know, you were right. I've heard stories on the 700 Club where there there were people that were so stuck on themselves, such an Ahabish type person, They had to hit rock bottom and be homeless and on the streets before they came to their senses. But on the streets, cold, in the rain, they had an epiphany. Maybe not everybody else is the problem in the whole world. Maybe it's me. (laughs) Maybe I need to change. And in that dark place, rock bottom, they realized This is not everybody else's fault. It's my fault. See, in Ahab, just like I mentioned about Adam, Adam blamed his wife and blamed God. An Ahab person is always blaming God. But God can't bless sin. Our lives are where they are today because of how we lived yesterday. That's just the way it is. And Ahab is usually not only very manipulating, but usually liars. You have to watch out for this. And Ahab is comfortable being a liar. Did you hear me? And you have to realize that everything they say you have to take with a grain of salt. And Ahab does not take care of what God has entrusted to him or her. But they don't take care of things. They don't take care of their family. They don't provide. And Ahab is always expecting something from others. When you go out to eat with them, they expect you to pay. They don't even offer. They just always expect. They always expect your time. Why Why can't you drive them and be their chauffeur? And then why can't you do this for them? And why can't you always give, give, give and do, do, do? And it's like, listen, I, I, I can't. But they expect it. Like Adam, they will listen to their wives over God. Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife tried to drag him down spiritually. Remember Job's wife. Job's wife tried to drag him down spiritually. Job's wife gave him this advice. Job, why don't you curse God and then die? Is that good advice? Should Job have listened to his wife? Let me give you some good advice. Don't ever curse God, okay? It's not not good. And Ahab will try to get you to feel sorry for them. And I already mentioned this about, we, we went to this uh, training for the prison system. And this guy was really good. I mean, he was funny and he was talking about, but they'll always try to use people and manipulate and control. And it's always everybody else's fault they're in them. And here's what I want you to get. Ahab is a literal demonic spirit, very powerful spirit. But underneath his authority, he has these underlings. And these are real spirits. Number one, rejection. I'm going to go more into that here in a moment. Number two is orphan. An orphan spirit, I don't have time. These could all three be sermons by themselves. An orphan spirit makes people feel like they never fit in anywhere that they're an orphan. They don't they don't have family. They they don't fit in. They're just a loner, okay? So you've got rejection, you've got orphan, and then you've got a victim spirit. You know what a victim spirit is? Life has done me wrong. Nothing's my fault. God has been unfair to me. People's been unfair to me. Life's been unfair to me, and they're just a little victim. You're never going to walk in any type of victory in life until you quit feeling sorry for yourself. You don't have to look too far. To find somebody that's had life a little bit worse than you. And that's the truth. Whenever I start, you know, sometimes if I'm going down through some things, I start thinking about other people and go, wait a second. My life is easy compared to these people over here. But those are the three spirits that you're going to have to conquer. You're going to have to break the power of rejection and orphan spirit And that victim spirit, and those are real spirits. I'm talking about real deliverance needs to happen in people's lives. These are like strongholds in the mind, and it's set on somebody, and they feel rejected when they shouldn't feel rejected. Nobody's rejecting them, but they take everything so hard. You try to talk to them in love. You're just trying to help them, but they take it as rejection. They have this orphan thing going where they don't feel like they fit in anywhere, and they're and they're always a little victim feelings are for themselves, having pity parties. You're going to have to break that. Grumbling and complaining and sulking about life. That's typical of an Ahab. They grumble, they complain, and they sulk about life. When the Bible clearly says that that is sin, and it says to stop grumbling and complaining. the children of Israel did, did not possess the promised land that were grumblers and complainers. I've seen people that grumble and complain, wander around in a spiritual circle in a spiritual desert their whole life. Why do I feel like I keep going in circles? Ask yourself, do you grumble and complain and have pity parties? Maybe that's why you're still going in a circle when you should have crossed the Jordan and entered your promised land 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And Ahab will have underlying deep seated anger issues when being confronted about their Ahabish ways. Somebody will go to them in love and try to talk to them, and they begin to seethe with anger. You're trying to help them, trying to tell them the truth. What happens? They begin to seethe with anger and they lash out. There's a deep seated, seething anger that is brewing in them. That they feel like they're a little victim. They feel rejected. They're taking what you're saying as rejection. They don't feel like they fit in anywhere. And because of that, they've got this anger problem. And when you try to talk to them, they're always bucking up against what you say. And Ahab has a tendency to abdicate his office of authority over a controlling woman. That can be vice versa. But normally Jezebel attacks women. Ahab attacks men. That's just the normal. But somebody that struggles with an Ahab has a tendency. Let me tell you about an Ahab spirit. It acts like some kind of homing device, man. It just, it sends out some kind of signal, okay? I don't understand. It sends out this signal, this little radar signal. It goes out. And it's trying to alert anybody that has a Jezebel spirit within a 20-mile radius. Come find this person. Come into their life. I'm serious, friend. It just tries to draw them in. But an Ahab person is somebody that has a tendency to draw in these controlling people and then let them run their life. If there's a Jezebel at the workplace, she will find the Ahab, buddy. And then she knows what's best for their life. And now she's going to run their life and try to meddle and try to control and... And Ahab will lose his, in, his inheritance and blessing that God has for him, like an Esau. And Ahab is somebody that God may have his hand on their life from childhood, has a mighty call on their life, but they'll probably never fulfill it. And they'll end up losing that, and God will have to raise up somebody else in their place because God can't use them. See, an Ahab person is somebody that's not reliable. They always show up late. They're undependable. They'll tell you they do stuff and they don't do it. You see what I'm saying? That, Lord, I will do this. And then they don't. They'll say it in the morning and by afternoon they don't change their mind. They're unstable. They're unreliable. And God can't depend on them and neither can other people. But how many knows that God can change us if we'll humble ourselves? See, here's the here's the way you'll defeat Ahab, number one. This is the biggest thing, is don't blame other people ever again Own it. Lord, it's my sin. It's my problem. And let God change you. That's number one. Because what they have, it's a literal spirit. I'm telling you, it messes with people's heads. And it gets them to thinking, well, it's somebody else's fault. I'm like this. And whenever you have that mentality, you're not repenting and confessing your sin. You're blaming other people. Therefore, the sin remains. You see what I'm saying? And God cannot bless sin. So once we say, Lord, it's not everybody else. Maybe there has been some injustices in my life, but everybody can say that. It's not everybody else. It is my fault. I need to change. Forgive me for this. Change me. When you have that attitude, then the Holy Spirit says, I can work with that. The thing about a Jezebel spirit, I rarely... Rarely have seen people repent of that spirit. I have seen some people do it. And there's degrees. Somebody that's a real hardcore Jezebel. And I've never seen it. But people that struggle with it. I have seen some people repent. But not very many. Because if somebody has a Jezebel spirit. They usually like the power. And the control they have over other people. So they don't want to repent. But Ahab's are different. Usually somebody that has an Ahab spirit. Actually has a very tender heart. Usually. They have a tender heart, but they've made wrong decisions and their their biggest problem is themselves, but their biggest problem also is that they won't admit it. It's everybody else's fault. When we really humble ourselves and say, Lord, the pastor's preaching this and deep down, I'm searching my heart deep down. I know that what he's saying is in the Bible. I know that it's true. And I know that I do deal with some of these issues. I'm not going to blame everybody else anymore. I'm going to get on my face and humble myself and confess it before you and let you burn it out of me and change me. That will set you free from Ahab. But an Ahab will struggle with lust in a major way and usually is willing to seek sexual gratification over God's plan for his life. Pornography and masturbation will be commonplace. In the life of an Ahab. Like Samson. They have a taste for strange flesh. It's like Adam in the forbidden fruit. They want what they can't have. You see what I'm saying? They have a beautiful wife at home. Why are they going around having an affair? Why are they going to prostitutes? Willing to get diseases. Willing to have all kinds of problems. Why? Because they, want, they got that lust drive within them. Why can't they just be content with what they have at home? Because well, it's an Ahab spirit. There's a, there's a lustful drive behind an Ahab spirit. An Ahab sometimes will be lazy and gluttonous and battles bouts of severe depression. Did you hear that? Now, this is not always the case. I'm telling you that not everybody's going to have all of these. You know, but a lot of times an Ahab struggles with being lazy. They want to sit around watching TV all the time. They don't want to do anything. They struggle with gluttony. And they have bouts of severe depression. They could do good for a little while. They're happy, but then they're in this dark place. They're depressed. That's an Ahab spirit. And let me give you something. I feel this in my spirits for Somebody. How do you know that you're struggling with an Ahab spirit? Do you struggle with peer pressure and fitting in that you're willing to go against your convictions to fit in with people around you? That's an Ahab spirit. You're going along to get along. That is the biggest description of an Ahab right there. You go along to get along. You know, deep down, this is the wrong decision but you just go along with it to get along with everybody. And everybody liked you. That's an A. And also you always have to go behind them and clean up their mess. I mean this literally and I mean this metaphorically. Literally that they're not going to clean up after themselves and you have to go behind them always cleaning up but metaphorically they'll make a mess out of their life and you always have to go behind them and clean up the mess they made of their life. And Ahab is not good with money management. I want you to really think about that for a minute. In Ahab, it just seems like they're not good with money. They're not good with money management. They struggle with that. And it's because of irresponsibility and immaturity, but they struggle with money. They also struggle to hold down a job, as I mentioned earlier. Ahab will usually really be into something like sports or weightlifting because it makes them feel masculine because they get lost in that, you know? They lose their identity in the sports and, and the working out and they feel real masculine because at home their wife wears the pants. And Ahab will procrastinate. They're always putting things off. I'll do it tomorrow. Then tomorrow comes, I'll do it tomorrow. Then the next day, then the next day, and it never gets done. I already mentioned blame-shifting God, the devil, or people. God, it's God's fault. You know, the devil made me do it. It's this person's fault. It's not everybody else's fault. We, We have to give an account for our decisions. They're angry with God. And Ahab will really struggle with being angry with God because they blame God for their life and they feel like that their life isn't fair but the truth is God wants to bless you just like he wants to bless everybody but it's your decisions that have landed you where you are in life it's not God's fault and as I mentioned earlier they have a lot of rejection issues they take things as rejection that aren't they will take things much harder than they should and I'll tell you something else about an Ahab they will self-medicate Because they're miserable, because they're miserable, they they will go out and self-medicate themselves, turning to alcohol, pornography, drugs, or things like shopping or hobbies to give themselves something to do because they're not happy. That's the truth, friend. They self-medicate. They want to go out and spend money because it makes them feel good. They want to go out and drink because they can escape reality because they're miserable. They're too nice to people and let people control them and take advantage over them and run over them. Now, let's be honest. I I have to say I've done that too. How many of you guys have let somebody take advantage of you and run over you before? Okay. These are traits that I'm saying all of us have dealt with some of these things. I feel like that God is wanting to lay the axe to the root and deal with this. An an Ahabish type person will let people take advantage of them. And deep down, they know they're taking advantage of it, but they still allow it. They always expect you to pay for things. I mentioned that. And Ahab will have a problem with a pastor that has to use church discipline. I could give examples and stories. Praying right now within myself for wisdom on what I say. But an Ahab will have problems with a pastor using his authority in the way of church discipline. Especially concerning his Jezebel wife. That he will not deal with, so the pastor has to do it. That's all I'm going to say. And Ahab doesn't like to hear true prophecies because they're negative about himself. That's the the funny thing and probably one of the last things I'll mention about Ahab. And Ahab always wants everybody to say positive things. And if there's a true prophet, they're going to say, sir, you have a problem. And he's going to get mad. Let me show you in the Bible. This is this is a really neat story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And Micaiah is one of my favorite people in the Bible. Okay. Verse Kings 22, verse 1. For three years, there was no war between Aram and Israel. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his officials, Do you not know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? Yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram. So he asked, this is Ahab, by the way. Ahab asked king Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. In other words, a long way of saying yes. Isn't it interesting how they did that back then? But Jehoshaphat also said to the king, first let's seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets. This is Ahab. (laughs) Ahab didn't have one true prophet. But anyway, this is Ahab's prophets. And Jehoshaphat said, first let's seek the counsel of the Lord. So anyway... The king of Israel gathers together his prophets, about four hundred men. That's a lot of false prophets. Four hundred? And he asked them, saying, Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answer, for the Lord will give it into the king's hands. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here that we can inquire of? I want you to really think about this story for a moment. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Ahab says sure we got prophets we got prophets everywhere call them in 400 people come in and they're all telling the king go and be victorious Jehoshaphat a descendant of David had discernment and he said I see 400 men but is there not a real prophet in the house so the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat this is Ahab this is Ahab's attitude toward true prophets okay Yes, there's still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. What a baby. This is the king of Israel. I mean, what a sissy. And Jehoshaphat, listen to what Jehoshaphat says. He's sitting here listening to the king during his little baby speech, and he says, Jehoshaphat says, the king should not say that. That's what he says to him. So anyway, Joseph had the king of Israel, they call for Micaiah, son of Imla, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones in the, at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets around them, 400 people, all of the prophets around them prophesying before them. What were they saying? Go and be victorious. Okay. Now Zedekiah, son of Keniah, had made iron horns and declared, now listen, this guy went so far as to make props for his false prophecy. He makes these iron (laughs) horns. So now he's got props. You you guys ever seen preachers use props? Okay, this guy is this little preacher and he's got little props now. He's like, with these props, with these horns, the king of Israel will destroy the enemy. I've I've got props, you know. My prophecy is serious. And all the prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead, be victorious. And they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah. Now listen, while this messenger went to get Micaiah, who's a true prophet, the only one out of 400, he's walking along with Micaiah. And listen to what he says. He said, look, Micaiah, all the other prophets without exception are predicting success for the king. Just let your word agree with theirs. Just go along to get along. Speak favorably. But Micaiah said this. He's basically saying, I'm not going to be intimidated, even if if it's the king. Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm only going to tell him what the Lord tells me. In other words, let me put it in today's vernacular. Micaiah said this. I'm not going to be intimidated by the king. I'm not going to go along to get along. I'm going to say what the Lord says, whether the king likes it or not. And whether you like it or not. Yeah. That's a true prophet. So when he arrived, the king asked him, here's King Ahab, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramah Gilead or not? He says, attack and be victorious, whatever. And the king said, how many times must I make you swear to me that you'll tell me nothing but the truth? And Micaiah said, I see all of Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd and the Lord said these people have no master let each one go home in peace then the king of Israel, Ahab, throws a temper tantrum and he probably starts stomping his feet his face get all red and he says didn't I tell you he never prophesied anything good about me but only bad the king is acting like a child an immature baby Micaiah continued, therefore, in other words, since I've already laid into you, let's go ahead and finish this prophecy. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going there to his death? One suggested this and another that finally a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him by what means says the Lord. I will go out and be a deceiving lying spirit in the mouths of all the prophets. And the Lord said, you will succeed in enticing him. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of these prophets of yours, not the Lord, your prophets. And the Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, remember him? He's got his little props. Zedekiah, Sennachiah went over and slapped Micaiah in the face right in front of everybody. And he said, which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me when when I went to speak to you? And he's mocking him. And Micaiah replied, you'll find out on the day that you go hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city and to Joash, the king's son, and say to them, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. And we all know he's not going to return safely. And Micaiah declared, "You'll never. if you return safely, The Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, Mark my words, all you people. That's a true prophet. You want to know, Pastor Scott, what's a good example of a true prophet of God? Right there. And that's exactly how Jezebel and Ahab respond to the true prophets. They hate them because they expose them. The thing about the Jezebel and the Ahab spirits is this. Their strength lies in them being hidden. That's their greatest strength, is that they're hidden. I had a friend of mine, well, it's okay to say it here, Andrew Peters, whenever he came to preach. He told me back, what was it, a month ago when he came, something like that, powerful service. We love Brother Andrew. And um, after after service, I was talking to him, and he told me in private, he said, Pastor, I feel like when you go to step out, to move out into the facility that you're going to be moving into, He said, I really feel in my spirit that you're going to face a control spirit. And I said, you mean a Jezebel spirit? He said, exactly. Now listen, on the day, on the day, not the day before, the day after, the day that we went to move out into this facility, I get a call from somebody, and there was another woman that was manipulating things behind the scenes and trying to control this upcoming conflict. So as soon as we started moving forward, what happened? A little Jezebel popped up. Now, because Andrew had told me this, I knew instantly. That's a Jezebel spirit right there. And I knew it because the prophet of the Lord had already exposed it to me before it happened. And it happened exactly as he said. So now I know to be careful with this person. I know who this person is. But an Ahab will not put their house in order and deal with issues that need to be addressed and confronted. And this usually creates long-term damage in the family. I'm going to start bringing this thing down. In, in this. But an, an Ahab father will not deal with things he needs to deal with. I remember hearing this uh, testimony in the Hill Revival. This young man now was saved and in church going to Bible school but here's what happened he was at home he was giving his testimony he was living at home with his grandparents and he had brought some illegal drugs into the house and the grandparents found it so they had to kick him out but as he was talking you could tell that he was angry about this but the truth of the matter is it wasn't the grandparents that were the bad people here they were nice enough to let him live with them they weren't the problem He took advantage of their kindness and brought drugs in knowing that they wouldn't approve. But they still found it and kicked him out, which they should have done. But he was acting like a little victim while he was giving his testimony. But in reality, it was the best thing that ever happened to him because once he got on the streets, he ended up through a series of events. I'm sure his grandparents were praying for him. that he ended up at the Brownsville Revival and getting saved. Amen? Now listen to what the Lord said about Abraham. See, certain people... They're not going to deal with stuff. There's stuff in their house that's not right. There's people that may be having sex outside of marriage. There's people that they're letting live there that should not be living there. There's people that, there's financial things that are not right. There's things in the house that aren't right. And they know it, but they refuse to deal with it. That's an Ahab. And if they don't deal with it, then it's going to affect the whole family and it's going to be a downward spiral spiritually. But listen to what God spoke about Abraham. I love this scripture. The Lord said, for I know him, speaking of Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Have you ever thought about that scripture? The Lord says, I know Abraham. I know he will command his family after me. Therefore, I can bring on Abraham what I've spoken over him. In other words, Abraham will inherit his destiny because he's somebody I can trust to put his house in order. It reminds me of Joshua. Joshua said, whatever goes on with you, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He didn't go take a family vote. He didn't say, listen, I'll be back in five minutes, okay? We're going to have a family power here. And I'm going to ask them, do you want to serve God? And we're going to do the raise of hands. And if we get a majority, and I'll come back in here and I'll, you know, I'll say that we got a three-fourths vote and all that. No, he didn't do that. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, whether my wife likes it, whether my kids like it, whether the servants that live in my household like it. We're going to serve the Lord, whether they like it or not. One day they're going to like it, but even if they don't like it today, we're still serving the Lord. And this is what I want to start moving into. And then I'm going to start closing. Listen, Ahab's and Jezebel's, this is important that you hear this. They will compromise their personal convictions. That's a big deal, friend. And Ahab will compromise his personal convictions. God has dealt with him. He knows that something's wrong. Maybe it could be something as simple as a TV show. And listen, if God ever convicts you of something to God, it's a big deal. Now, some little Jezebel wife over here goes, that's stupid. That's Why Why would you think that? That's just stupid. But it's a big deal to God, or he wouldn't have convicted you about it. But if somebody has a Jezebel spirit will always get you in a situation where you feel like you have to choose between God and them. But anyway, and Ahab will compromise convictions. They know that God has dealt with them about something, what they drink. The people that hang around, where they're going, what they're doing, what they're wearing, what they're not wearing and should be wearing, whatever it is, they know that they've been convicted. God's convicted them. But the time will come when they go back to it and justify it and say, well, it really isn't that big a deal. It was probably just me. And if they have a Jezebel in their life, that person will indefinitely say that Yes, that is stupid. You should have never felt that way. You're being silly. You're being over spiritual. So in other words, the Ahab is selling out now with the Jezebel urging it along. And this is in the Bible. Revelation two eighteen. the angel of the Lord, the angel of the church of Thyatira, write this. These are the words of the son of God whose eyes are blazing fire. Now, this is how Jesus appeared to this church That was facing the Jezebel spirit. I think it's interesting how he appeared to them. He appeared to them as the son of God. Authority. He appeared to them with eyes that were on fire. Because it takes the fire of God to burn out all this junk. Amen. And he appeared with feet as burnished bronze. Bronze speaks of judgment. He came to put everything under his feet and judge. He said, I know your deeds. I know your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance and And you're doing more now than you did at first. So he compliments him up front. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You Tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. But by her teachings she what? Misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols, which was a personal conviction. In other words, she got people to go against their personal convictions. See, eating food sacrificed to idols was a personal conviction. Somebody would say, I don't feel right about doing it. I'm not going to do it. But she would, she would encourage them to go against their convictions and do it anyway. But you read on about the Jezebel spirit. And it says. The Lord will judge that in verse 22. And I will cast her on a bed of suffering which is sickness. Those that tolerate a Jezebel spirit. No doubt will end up having sickness in their life and their family. And he said, I will strike her children dead, meaning premature death. Sickness and premature death go with the Jezebel Ahab spirit. This is serious, friend. And all the churches will know that I search the hearts and minds. I will repay each according to, its, to their deeds. Now listen to this. What about those that overcome Jezebel Ahab? What about those? Because I'm telling you that Jesus in his blood that he shed on the cross was enough. It was enough. It was enough for you to crush if Jezebel used to have a hold on you or Ahab, it's enough for you to now have that snake under your foot. You can't conquer this. The problem is not that you can't. The problem is, is that some people don't want to. But I know you want to. Amen. And I know I want to. But what happens whenever it says to those who are victorious and do my will to the end? I will what? Give them authority over the nations. That is major, incredible spiritual authority. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give you the morning star. So not only tremendous spiritual authority, but the morning star is great favor. How many want to have authority with God and have favor on your life? Then let's crush that Jezebel spirit and that Ahab spirit underfoot. But I want you to hear this. This this is why I'm going to start You're bringing this down. I'm trying to get all this out there, so bear with me. But that that iron scepter is something within you. See, some people don't have enough backbone. And it may not be your fault. I'm not meaning to come across as though a condemning way when I preach this. Because some people have really been hurt in life. And they they want to rise up, but they, they feel that they're psychologically damaged and weak. Okay? So I'm not coming at this from a condemning way. But some people... They don't have enough backbone and they're easily manipulated. They're bent this way and bent that way. But the Lord is wanting to give you a rod of iron that will be internal. That you can no longer be manipulated anymore. You're not going to be bent anymore. And I feel like that's what God is about to release. I really do. And Ahab is a strong man. It's not some little weak, as I always say, little troll demon running around. This is a strong man. It's a powerful being, okay? Where it is at work, you will find stubborn health problems that have not budged, even though you've gotten prayer. You will find financial lack. Why is the finances not where they should be? You will find marital problems and ministry confinement. Disorder and dysfunction in the home. It is Satan's goal to get the husband to come under the influence of a Jezebel spirit that through his wife or whoever else has the Jezebel spirit. They are now dictating the direction of the family. I remember I, I was working with somebody years ago in ministry and it ended up coming to a head and I had to deal with some stuff. But I would tell this person things, but at home his wife was telling him the opposite and he was going with her. And it was causing problems because I was praying and hearing from God, we're gonna go this direction. And he would be, okay, yes, go home. And his wife would say, no, that's stupid. We need to do this. And he was doing that. So anyway, to say, we ended up having a confrontation. Okay? Heads butted. Jezebel and Ahab are fiercely generational marital problems, confusion in children. Where you have Jezebel and Ahab in a family, a lot of times there's a lot of sexual problems and sexual perversions and gender confusion, even leading to bisexual and homosexual activity but there will be sexual perversion like unhealthy abnormal sexual activity it's a major door for satanic attack like strife divorce sexual sins, financial destruction you can usually see somebody that has an ahab spirit they have major cycles of destruction in their life where they lose everything there's a curse associated with sickness and premature death which i've already mentioned let me read you this story about a pastor's abdication See, listen, I'm talking about the home, but I'm also talking about the church and the workplace. Man, if you're a manager, then be the manager at a workplace. How many knows in a workplace, usually a manager will have to deal with somebody that doesn't want to come under their authority and wants to be rebellious. And if they can, control that person and run them. And if it's an Ahab manager, then all of a sudden, now they're just a puppet for this person. Whatever this person wants, they're going to end up going along with them. Same thing in a family or in a church if it's tolerated. Jim was the pastor of a church in a sleepy town in the eastern United States. He and his wife Linda founded this church, enjoying its steady growth over many years. Jim approached the golden years of his ministry. He knew it was time to pass the baton over. To, uh, sorry, pass the baton and turn the helm of the church over to his son Michael, who was an ordained minister and had worked with his dad for many years. They had frequent conversations about this upcoming decision. Finally, after delaying his decision for two years, Jim agreed that it was time to turn the church over to Michael. The problem was Linda, to whom Jim had abdicated his authority years earlier. So Jim's the pastor, Linda's his wife. She did not agree because she wanted to stay right there in her position in the church, which not only gave her her identity, but a sense of power. Now, Michael, the son, was aware of how his mom controlled his dad. So he insisted on a meeting where his dad's decision would be shared with the elders and the deacons and the minutes would be recorded. So in other words, he couldn't worm out of it and Linda wouldn't be there to manipulate the conversation. The following Sunday, Jim stood before the congregation to announce his decision and asked the church to now recognize Michael as the senior pastor. His intentions were complete and and explicit interesting Linda was not at the service that Sunday morning in fact Jim had told Michael months earlier that when he talked to Linda about handing the baton over to Michael she told him this you can do what you want but I'm not leaving this church nor my position here we're dealing with the jazz (laughs) bus it became obvious that she was the controller and Jim was passive It seems likely that her friends in the congregation would have filled her in on the events. But she would neither face nor hear the truth about her husband that he had passed the baton. Her husband had adopted the role of Ahab by withholding the truth from her. So great was his fear of her reaction. Soon after Jim's public announcement, the whole situation began to unravel. Michael dutifully took his place as senior pastor of the church, but before long, word began to filter back to him through various members that he had stolen the church from his dad. So when he confronted his dad, Jim acknowledged that Michael's allegations were true, that he and his wife were indeed telling people in the community that Michael has stolen the church from them. Yeah. immediately Michael disagreed with him and reminded his dad that's not true you turned the church over to me but through his passivity everybody say passivity through his passivity Jim had set up a conflict within his family he was sandwiched now between his son to whom he had relinquished leadership of the church and his wife to whom he had relinquished his God given authority As unbelievable as it sounds, this man truly feared his wife's reaction so much that he withheld the truth from her. Even though he knew she was not on board with him, he deceptively stepped out on a limb and exerted his authority as pastor by turning the church over to his son. Then he backtracked because he knew she would bring down the hammer. Sadly, because of the fear of her reaction, he pretended like passing the baton had never happened. Jim's passivity was mind-boggling. He even told Michael at one point that he could recall the specific day years earlier when he had given his leadership away to his wife and that he had regretted it ever since. But he never reclaimed it. The bottom line was this. Jim would not deal with his wife, whom he has abdicated, who he, he had abdicated his authority to her, but rather he did not have the backbone to stand up to her, but chose to alienate his own son and the rest of his family by turning the, the church against Michael. Michael tried every way he knew to get his dad to accept the truth and refused to compromise with his dad by giving in to the lie. How could such a thing happen? That story has stayed with me. I read this story many years ago. It's really stayed with me. Because you're thinking, how in the world could that go on? But when you're dealing with the Jezebel and spirit, common sense-wise, you think, how in the world could this man be so afraid of his wife? But the passive preacher the passive pastor will just give people what they want don't confront or correct troublemakers they won't do it they don't want to tick off the money people they tone down their sermons as to not offend anybody just let people they let people control and run over them they go along just to get along somebody else usually controls them behind the scenes Whether it's a board member, a wife, an elder, some controlling female figure, a prophetess, somebody behind the scenes controls that pastor. That is a classic Jezebel and Ahab spirit, isn't it? Did you know that Moses had almost lost his destiny and died before his time playing the Ahab? A lot of people don't know this story. We'll read it to you in the Amplified Bible. Exodus 4 verse 24. Along the way, at a resting place, the Lord met Moses. Now, Moses had just had the burning bush experience. This is right after that. Along the way, leaving the burning bush experience, the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. Made him acutely and almost fatally ill. Now, apparently, he had failed to circumcise one of his sons, his wife probably being opposed to it, But seeing his life in such danger, Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it to touch Moses' feet and said, surely a husband of blood you are to me. When he let Moses alone to recover, the Lord let Moses alone to recover. But listen, Moses was a descendant of Abraham and knew to circumcise his son on the eighth day. This isn't new. This predated the law. This was something that had been passed down the family. He knew better. But he did not do what God wanted him to do, probably because his wife was opposed to it, and it almost cost him his life, his destiny, and his family. Did everybody see that? You remember those eight people I mentioned earlier? It did cost them everything. Moses almost lost everything. He almost lost his life. He would have lost his destiny. God would have, obviously, if the man was dead, would have had to use somebody else to deliver Israel out of Egypt and would have cost him his family because he didn't want to deal with stuff. Let me read one more story. Nelson took another sip of coffee. He's talking about church issues and continued to watch this attractive young woman. She was tastefully dressed in a dark suit and had a look of optimism. A confident handshake, direct eye contact, While soulfully engaging people in conversation with her penetrating charisma, the woman was vivacious, she was enthusiastic, she had the ability to draw people to her, she was fun to be with and seemed to be a devoted student of the Bible. Nelson was the pastor. He needed to find new church leaders. Each month, his desperation increased as the money from tithes and offerings continued to shrink. During their times together, the woman suggested her theories on how to increase church membership. A savvy businesswoman, she created a blueprint to steer the church toward a position of dominance. Over the ensuing months, she became more entrenched in the church and began to lead the woman's Bible study group. At the same time, Nelson was puzzled by the woman's beliefs. She seemed to be in touch with the spirit. However, it seemed to be a dark spirit. The spirit had told her to do unusual things, some of which resulted in immorality. Despite this, Nelson and his wife loved being around the woman, seeing her potential. They met the woman often and attempted to mentor her and they placed their hopes in her. The young woman in the church began to rally around this woman. The young women began to rally around her while her influence grew. Nelson's diminished like a slow leaking tire. Each month, the church continued to shrink in members. Then Nelson's wife began to suffer various illnesses. The whole church was suffering. His wife was now suffering with sickness. His mind began to be filled with sexual fantasies. Think about it. So the church is dwindling. Their finances are dwindling. His wife is now sick. His mind is being attacked. To make matters worse, his once amiable church staff became divisive and their vibrant small groups began to dwindle. One day, Nelson called and asked for help. Now, the person writing this is John Paul Jackson. He is a prophet. Okay. So Nelson called him, John Paul Jackson, asking for help. And a dream came, allowing this the writer here, John Paul said, allowing him to see the enemy's smoke screen. I relayed what God had showed me, which he affirmed was accurate. But Nelson and his wife still were torn, stalled by indecision and confusion. They continued to receive counsel from a spirit guide. They were following this woman who was following a spirit guide. Are you getting this? Okay. He's the pastor. This affected the whole church. It affected his wife, his own mind. Nonetheless, they loved this woman and wanted to help her. What were they supposed to do? What I had just described is called an unholy alliance. That's what John Paul Jackson says. It's an unholy alliance. A relationship that draws you inevitably into dire results Even though you are aware the person willfully continues to sin, furthermore, it is evident from Scripture that God does not sanction such a person being given leadership within the church. That person should have never had leadership in the church. We need to know those that labor among us. We need to be careful who we allow to teach. You better be careful who you allow to lay hands on people and give influence to be able to prophesy and function in the gifts. If you just let anybody do it, you're going to get people like this. But he was seeing the church struggling and he just willingly accepted somebody in desperation. You can't do that. He should have trusted God and sought God in prayer and fasting and let God answer the problem. Furthermore, it's evident from Scripture, I'm sorry, Nelson and his wife justified their decision not to remove this woman from leadership for the sake of the kingdom. That's what they said. Therefore, the kingdom was compromised by an unholy arrangement and their church suffered. Has this been eye-opening? We can't be passive. we got to deal with stuff. When you know something's not right in a church, you've got to deal with it. When you know stuff isn't right in your home, you got to deal with it. You can't just go along to get along. There's been, there's been houses that people loved God and were Christians, and they allowed stuff to start going on in their home that they shouldn't have. And it was just like the children of Israel when Achan had sin in the camp. All hell broke loose in those Christians' homes. I could tell you stories. All hell broke loose. They began to suffer financially. Their health suffered. Their relationships strife was in the home. They didn't sleep good anymore at night because they allowed some person or something in their home that wasn't right, and they didn't deal with it. It's just like having a Jonah on your boat. You can be innocent, but the Jonah on your boat has just brought about a tremendous storm that's liable to sink your boat and take Jonah and everybody else with them. And Peter said this in like manner, you married women be submissive to your husbands, subordinate yourselves as being a secondary to and dependent on them and adapt yourselves to them so that even if they do not obey the word of God, that they may be won over, not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives. When they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him. All that reverence includes to respect him, defer to him. Revere him, to honor him, esteem and appreciate and prize him in a human sense to adore him that is admire, praise and be devoted to him deeply love him this is the Amplified Bible let not yours be merely external adorning elaborate interweaving and knotting of the hair and wearing jewelry and changing clothes but let it be the inward adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible and a fading charm and beauty of a gentle and peaceful spirit Which is not anxious or wrought up, but is very precious in the sight of God. That's how women are to be. Submissive to their husbands and honor them. And I've had to unfortunately confront, I won't talk about the husbands, but I've had to confront sometimes because a wife would be disrespectful to her husband in public. That's not right. That's sin. And when somebody's in leadership, it becomes my business at that time. If somebody wants to go out here and disrespect their husband, you're in sin. You're opening yourself up to a Jezebel spirit because of your behavior. But whenever it gets into the church and somebody's in leadership, then it becomes my business. And I I had a major confrontation over that issue right there. But I'm not going to compromise it. If I had compromised it two years ago, you wouldn't be in revival today. The deliverance you've gotten, the healings you've received, the times you've soaked in God's glory, all that you've received over these last two years, it would not be there if I had compromised two years ago. That's a fact. So was it worth it? Yes. Did I have to pay a dear price for it? Yes. Did I have some people out there that probably hate my guts? Yes. Do I care? No. (laughs) Do I still sleep good at night? Yes. All right. For it was thus that the pious women of old put their hope in God, were accustomed to beautify themselves and were submissive to their husbands. Let me get down to the husband says in the same way you married men, you should live considerably with your wives with an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation, honoring the woman as physically weaker. So husbands need to honor their wives. You don't need to be belittling them either, men. Don't be talking about them like they're stupid, making fun of them, etc. It's not right. That's sin. What does it say will happen if you do? It says your prayers will be hindered. Now, listen, I don't ever want to be in a situation where my prayers are hindered. How would you like to go to God and say, Lord, I desperately need you to hear me right now. I need this. And God says, no. You've been disrespectful and mean to your wife and you've hurt her. I'm not answering your prayers till you fix that. Jezebel seems to be the strong man. Nobody really likes the Jezebel. They're mean. But in reality, you cannot have a Jezebel without an, a passive Ahab somewhere that's putting up with you. Did everybody hear that? Everybody complains about the Jezebel. Can you believe that person and what they're doing? But in reality, there's an Ahab somewhere that's putting up with it, and that's why it's there. All right, so how do we conquer this Ahab thing? This is what I want to close with. I'm going to pray for people. Number one, incredible humility and repentance. That means what I said many times earlier. I'm hoping that it is really staying with you. That means no longer blaming anybody else. Just make it a personal policy. Lord, from this moment on, I refuse to blame anybody else for my stuff. I'm not doing it anymore. I know because Pastor Scott preached on it that that's an Ahab spirit. I'm not doing it anymore. That I'm going to own it. If it's my sin, I'm going to own it before God. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. The problem with a lot of Ahabs is they don't confess their sin. They go like this. They say, well, it's this person's fault my life is like this. this person's fault things are like this. It's God's fault. If they would stop all that nonsense and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin, he'll forgive me. And then Ahab would start to be defeated from that point. Number two, really confess sins and don't blame shift them on others. Number three, be willing and desirous of change. Did you know there's some people that don't want to change? Have you ever met somebody like that? They just flat don't want to change. They'll be 40, 50 years old, they've been saved forever, and they're just the same, and you're sitting there looking at them going, friend, what is wrong? Why don't you want to change? But they don't. You have to be willing and desirous to change, Not just willing, but you desire to change. Lord, I want to change. Number four, ask the Holy Spirit to send his fire and burn out what needs to go. The Holy Ghost is going to burn it out, but it's got to be the Holy Spirit. There's some things that we need to change. Some of the things I talked about recognizing things about us that we do need to change. We need to quit taking advantage of people. We need to quit manipulating people. We need to stop doing certain things. That's our responsibility. But there's some things that you can't change, but the Holy Ghost can change it in you. Number five, let God strengthen you to rise above it. That's where the Holy Spirit fills you and strengthens you. Number six, get inner strength, the rod of iron. And number seven, discern those that are using you and cut them off. So some of you, you may be dealing with an Ahab spirit within yourself, but others may be dealing with an Ahab spirit that that somebody's trying to leech onto you and use you for what they can get out of you. And you're going to have to cut that off. It's not going to be pleasant. And if they are an Ahab, they're going to get mad about it. But you still got to cut it off. All right. All right. I mean, you guys are going to take this to heart and really pray about this at home. I can lead you in a prayer, and I'm going to, and we're going to pray. I'm going to lay hands on you. Earlier today when I was in prayer about the service, the presence of God came on me, and it was like a fire, and it was so intense and so strong. I was I was kind of out of it for a while, and I feel like that God wants to impart that because that fire is going to start burning things out. But we've got to humble ourselves and recognize. I've heard people make jokes, you know, Um, I had one pastor joke around and talk about his wife. Yeah, and she's the boss. I got to go ask her stuff. And, uh ha-ha, funny, funny. But in reality, he was little Ahab. He was, and it came out later that he, in fact, was. You know, and then people make jokes about, oh, just give them whatever they want. That's an Ahab mentality. You don't, listen. We've got to live to please Jesus. And that means sometimes your family's going to be mad about it. I mean, sometimes church members are going to be mad about it. I mean sometimes some of your friends are going to get mad at you about it. But you live to please the Lord. And if you, you know, you lose a friend over it, you have a family member mad at you for a little while about it, they'll just get over it. But ultimately, the Lord will bless you, but if you go along to get along, you can lose everything. It's not worth it. So those that really want to change, and change is recognizing if I've been irresponsible if I've been immature the Apostle Paul said when I was a child I acted like a child, I fought like a child, but I grew up I put childish things away and I matured if you recognize that you've been immature, irresponsible, you've, you've been you shirk responsibility, you say I'm going to do stuff and you don't do it you're late to everything, you're unreliable, You don't. people don't even know if you're going to show up if you know those things are there Then ask the Lord, forgive me, Lord, for being like that. Let me change. I want to be more like Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. After today's sermon, those that go along with what God's doing and get victory, I really feel like God's going to start giving you much more spiritual authority. That's what I feel. You're going to die to something, an old man, an old woman, whatever. You're going to die to the old and come into the new. And with the new, there's going to be an increase of spiritual authority. I really feel that. But you gotta die to this first before God's gonna entrust more authority. So everybody that really wants to change, and you're serious about it, I want you to pray this, Jesus, forgive me for any Ahab tendencies where I've been irresponsible, unreliable, immature, I've shirked responsibility. I haven't taken care of things. I haven't dealt with things the way I need to, whether it's in my life or in the lives of others. Forgive me, Lord. I ask you to wash me in the blood of Jesus and let an awesome fire of the Holy Spirit Come into my life and begin to systematically burn out everything that has given place to Jezebel or Ahab in any way. Give me an inner strength to overcome and to conquer where I once was weak. Lord, change me transform my life and I ask your forgiveness for these things in my ancestors and I break off my life any generational curses because now it's under the blood and I'm a Christian and I'm separated from these things and so I take authority and I break the devil's influence Off my life. That goes back to Jezebel and Ahab. I break it now and I command the enemy's kingdom to go from my life in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for victory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Someone pray for people. For Zach, if you could get some worship ready. Listen. We're going to, here in just a moment, we will pray for people, but I'm going to tell you, you can get prayer and still, six, seven years down the road, be the same. It's got to be, Lord, I really want to change. Change me. Burn it out of me. And you got to really go after God about this. See, and Ahab will say, well, pastor, pray for me, and then it'll just be fine. That's, that's putting the responsibility off on me. It's, you know... It's got to be something that I'm going to take responsibility about the change in my life that needs to happen. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to pursue this until it's complete. I'm going to keep praying about it. I'm going to keep fasting about it until I know that I am a different person. I'm going to take hold of this truth, and I'm going to go with it all the way. Okay?